Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Is everybody having a good summer? I know over on our side of the hill, <laughs> it's usually a little bit warmer, um, but we love, I grew up in the Eugene area, so um, uh, I, I very much enjoy the, the cooler <laughs> and the wet even. It's good, it's good. Uh, excited to be with you guys this morning. I know my family is um, really excited just to get to know you all, and yeah, let's see what God does. So um, as we get going this morning, though, I got a little something I want to say to you. Uh, show of hands, how many people here have ever experienced a part of life go in a direction you did not want it to go? Raise your hand. Look around the room. You're not alone. <laughs> Every single one of us have experienced that. My wife and I originally planned on having four children. Um, and we were actually on the same page. Before we were ever married, we had discussed it. We talked about it, all of that. We had names picked out and everything. Uh, yeah, we did. We, we agreed on these names together. Um, and we wanted to have four children. But then life didn't turn out that way for us. What we thought, you know, we would get married, wait a year or two, start popping out babies. That didn't happen. Okay? We had one time where we got pregnant and it ended in a miscarriage. And we were devastated. Life went sideways. A dream started to crumble in front of our eyes. And at that point, we were faced with a choice. We could choose to continue to hold on to our idea, our expectation of how life should be, about how our family should be built and all of that, or we could actually step back and say, okay, God, what are you doing? Because we had actually talked about adoption. But the reality for us is that adoption was something we wanted to do, but it was, it was something that was down the road after we built our family through our plan, through our means. And God seemed to be saying, I've got something a little bit different here for you. We chose the second option. And because we chose that option, we were blessed with Caleb and Abigail. You're going to get to meet them in a little while here. Caleb is nine and Abigail is five and they are all of that. <laughs> They're great kids. Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, is all about how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to establish God's kingdom on earth, God's rule and reign on earth as in heaven. Now, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, and in the passage we're going to look at in Matthew 13, you can go ahead and turn there if you've got your Bibles or your Bible app. I think we're going to have the words up on the screen too, but by, by the beginning of this passage... Jesus has had a very difficult encounter with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders of his day, because throughout the entire Gospel of Matthew, what Jesus encounters is that he doesn't meet the expectations of the leaders and of the people. They've all got their plans. They've all got their ways of thinking of how God is going to perform and what God is going to do and through whom God is going to do it and how God is going to do it. You see, their expectation of God's chosen servant, of the Messiah, was based on a figure from their not-so-distant past, a guy by the name of Judas the Hammer. That's a pretty good WWE name, don't you think? 
Judas the Hammer. Judas the Hammer fought military battles. At a point in Israel's history, when they were being, uh, when Greeks were trying to turn the Jews into pagans, just like the Greeks, Judas the Hammer said, oh no, you didn't. Okay? And he goes to war, and he fights, and for a time, they win their independence from these Greeks. All right? The, the, the process of becoming Greek has been held at bay for a little while. And so the Jews of Jesus' day, they're thinking, this is how it's going to happen. This is the story God is telling, and this is the way that God is going to do it. And Jesus comes on the scene. And he doesn't do anything like that, does he? See, the, the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they expected God to make faithful Israelites, the head of all of the nations. But what does Jesus do? He comes and he begins to heal unfaithful Israelites. When, when the Israelites expected God to forgive, they, they expected God to forgive people who had done things the way that they were supposed to be done and to welcome those people into the family. But what does Jesus do? He sits down. He has meals with sinners, right? And in that culture, that was a big deal because what it meant is life between you and me is good. We are whole. There is nothing in between us that is wrong. We're one. And then on top of all of that, Jesus actually spends a lot of time condemning what the religious leaders of his day were doing while he shows a different way to live and to be human. So by the beginning of Matthew 13, Jesus has had another round of confrontation with the Pharisees, all right? And they have rejected him. By the end of this chapter, he is going to be rejected yet again, this time by the people he grew up with, the people from his very community. They're gonna say, we don't want you. You don't look like the way that we expect you should look. And in between these two scenes, over and over again, Jesus sums up what it means to be part of God's kingdom. He's like a, ro a broken record. He just keeps ringing the bell. And it's the big idea this morning. If you're taking notes, it's on your outline. Members of God's kingdom press close to Jesus to learn from him and practice what he says. Okay? Members of God's kingdom... Press close to Jesus to learn from him and practice what he says. And here's the deal. The condition of our hearts predicts what we're going to choose. It actually predicts. It's a predictor. So the question Jesus' original hearers were faced with, which is the same question you and I are faced with right now this morning, was this. Would they stubbornly hold to their expectations... And so reject what God was doing or would they place their expectations, their hopes, their dreams, their fears, everything at the foot of God and say, all right, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know where this is all going, but I'm gonna take from you what you've got. My wife and I were faced with something similar when we could have stubbornly stuck to our plan of how our family would look and be built. You have been faced with something similar. When you could have stubbornly stuck to a plan you had for your life, 
based on some expectation of what your family should look like, what your job should look like, what position you should have. All of those shoulds. And this morning we're faced with the question, will we press close to Jesus and practice what he says or not? That's the bottom line. What we find is that the condition of our hearts tells the story, it tells the tale of what we will choose. So here's what Jesus said. We're Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read from the NIV this morning. Matthew 13, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on shore. So the scene here is that Jesus... He wants the people to hear what he has to say, so he actually separates himself a little bit, creating a little bit of space, kind of a natural amphitheater, if you will, a little bit, so that the people can hear him. They can all, he wants people to hear him. He, you need to understand that. He wants to be heard, okay? He's not hiding anything. He wants to be heard. Then, verse 3, Then he told them many things in parables, saying... A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quick because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And then the key here, whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus wants to be heard. He's teaching. He's giving out information, and he gives a command. He says, listen. Listen. Now, within the context of this story, or this, 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 uh, this portion of Scripture, you need to understand that listening doesn't mean just to hear something. How many of you have kids who hear you all of the time? Yeah, I'm seeing some heads nodding, yes. Do they always follow through? The answer is this. <laughs> okay. In the Bible, anytime you see, hear, or listen, or pay attention, or whatever your translation says, it means hear the words, but do it. Okay? And if you haven't done it, then you haven't really heard it. So Jesus says, listen, pay attention, put into practice what I am talking about here. Now, within the context of the story Jesus tells in this passage, our ability to respond to what he says is based on the condition of our hearts. Jesus is going to warn against three conditions of the heart. Three conditions of the heart that will ultimately keep us from participating in God's kingdom. And he's going to commend one condition of the heart that ensures that we get in. And it might be a little bit surprising what that one is. So here's the rundown. If you're taking notes on your outline, number one, the hard heart. The first heart Jesus talks about is the hard heart. 
The hard heart is a heart that is un, that has hardened itself against Jesus and his message. And it's unable to understand. My son, Caleb, he likes to go play baseball, likes to hit a ball. And for him, baseball means daddy goes out in the front yard and I pitch underhand to him and he uses the plastic bat to hit the wiffle ball. And when he gets his timing down, oh my goodness. I mean, some of these little balls, he's almost taking my head off with. I, it's, he's pre, he gets pretty good at it, but it hasn't always been that way. Okay, there was a time he was about two years old. We first started going out into the front yard to, to play baseball and he didn't know how to do it. And so he was standing backwards. He was holding the bat the wrong way. And so anytime I came up to him, I said, Caleb, let daddy show you how to stand. You're right-handed. Hold the bat this way. Keep your eye on the ball. No, dad, I got it. I got it. All right. And so what happened? He struck out every time. He struck out until finally that day he came to a point where he said, okay, dad, tell me what I need to know. That's a picture of the hard heart. Okay. That's the picture of the hard heart. Jesus explains his statement about the seed on the path in verse 4. He explains that in verse 19, further on in the passage. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom, that is the good news that God has established his kingdom on earth through Jesus, that is specifically what Jesus is talking about at this point. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, that's another way of saying doesn't do it, doesn't live it out. It doesn't get into them and change them, okay? They don't understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This seed is sown along the path. In Jesus' day, it was not uncommon for there to be well-worn paths around and through fields. And the whole purpose of this was so that the farmer could get from one point to another without destroying the crop. In the process of making these paths, the paths became well-worn. Anybody here been hiking on a well-worn path before? What happens to the ground? It's hard. It's compacted, right? And so Jesus says, that is the hard heart. When the farmer goes to spread the seed, the seed just bounces off of it. It can't get down into the ground. The seed has life. The word has the ability to do what it's supposed to do, but if that heart can't be receptive to it, then it can't produce the, the life that God intends for it to produce. We're going to do a little heart check. I've got a question for you. Is this your heart? No, no judgment. This is a question I have to ask myself all of the time. I need to do a heart check. Is this your heart? Have you been offended about or by Jesus in some aspect of your life where you're saying, nope, I got it. I got this figured out. Is there any area of your heart that is hard? That's the first heart condition Jesus warns against, the hard heart. We're going to talk about the corrective for it in a little bit. The hard heart. The second one Jesus talks about is the shallow heart. That's number two on your outline, the shallow heart. This heart initially shows all the promise in the world, but quickly fizzles like a waterlogged sparkler on the 4th of July. I grew up with those in the Eugene area. <laughs> we got a picture, right? I think, that we're going to show. Here's my daughter, Abigail. 
little monkey swinging on this, the, the monkey bars. My daughter Abigail occasionally decides she knows better than her mom and I do. I remember one time recently, we, uh, we were getting ready for a, a family outing, and I told the kids, I said, okay, we're going to go, we're going to have fun, it's going to be great, you guys go use the restroom, get your shoes on, and Abigail, she, she gets excited, she's like, yes, daddy, she's really looking forward to this. I get done getting myself ready, I come out, and I'm, I'm, I immediately ask the kids, all right, you guys ready? And to which I think my son was there, and he replied yes, but then I couldn't find my daughter. She was gone. And I couldn't find her for like five minutes. And I'm, I'm starting to worry. Did she sneak out of the house? She's so little. What's going on here? Until finally I discover her behind a recliner on the floor without her shoes on. She hasn't gone to the restroom yet, but she's eating a granola bar. And I'm like, what are you doing? You said you wanted to go. And then, of course, she because she ate her snack then, she didn't get a snack later, so there's tears and all of that kind of a thing. Abby's experience is a pretty good example of this kind of heart Jesus talks about when he mentions that, that shallow heart, the rocky, shallow soil. In Matthew 13, 20 through 25, or 21, excuse me, he explains, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. They're like, my daughter, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. But then Jesus goes on, verse 21, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. My daughter had a trouble and it was that she was hungry. And so she didn't listen. She didn't follow through. Now that was funny. What Jesus is talking about isn't so funny. This heart initially shows all the promise in the world to produce the kingdom's fruit. But when trials come that test the mettle of someone who claims to follow Jesus, this kind of heart loses its fervor and doesn't produce the kingdom's fruit. Heart check. Is this your heart? Again, no judgment. I have to ask myself this question. Is this your heart? Do you lose fervor when trials, when temptations, when, when persecution comes? Do you lose heart? Do you lose fervor? Jesus has talked about the hard heart and the shallow heart. The third kind of heart he talks about is the thorny heart. The thorny heart. This heart is a crowded heart. It's a little bit like a lesson I learned, oh, four or so years ago about what goldfish need. Here's a picture of my son, Caleb. His first and only pets. Somebody gave him three goldfish. He wanted to name them Glub Glub and Fish. I was in favor of the three flushes. My wife overruled me on that one. A little bit too harsh or realistic, I guess. Um, so Glub Glub and Fish won out. Now, at first, I thought that life in a quart-sized jar was just entirely too exciting for three goldfish. Okay? The two that died, I was sure. It was just, they were so excited. It was like being at Disneyland every day or something. No, I'm kidding. But, 
what actually had happened was that this one quart-sized jar, the environment was too small. There weren't enough resources for all three goldfish. So two of them did become flush and flush. Okay? Only one could survive in that environment. The same is true for anyone who has a crowded heart in terms of following Jesus. What Jesus talked about the thorns, he explains in verse 22. He says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. It's not that the word hasn't grown. It's not that the seed hasn't produced something. It's that other things have moved in and taken the life away. People with thorny hearts don't typically start out this way. It's a gradual process of other interests moving in and choking out our love for Jesus and his kingdom. Heart check time. Is this your heart? Do you experience other concerns moving in where Jesus wants to produce his life? Do you have two, com- two competing systems at work in your heart? I have to admit, this is one I have to especially guard against. The concerns about how I look or what people think about me, any number of things are possible to choke the life of the kingdom out of me. And I have to pay attention to this. I have to go to God and I have to say, okay, where am I at? What's going on? What about you? Where do you tend to fall in these three areas? Are you someone who doesn't even want to hear what Jesus has to say? Are you someone who is initially excited but quickly loses fervor? Are you someone who has the concerns of this world in competition with Jesus? Now, wherever you land in these three areas, there's hope, all right? I want you to hear that. There's hope. We don't have to stay there. Because the fourth kind of heart Jesus talks about isn't merely something that's for some spiritual or privileged few to attain. You don't have to be especially liked by God in order to get to have this kind of heart. It is an open invitation to all of us. And it is the cure for the other three kinds of heart. And here it is, number four on your outline. The receptive heart. The receptive heart. As a dad, I get so excited when my children demonstrate that they have heard and understood me. And you know how I know that they've heard and understood me? We've been talking about it all morning. They do it, right? They're not laying on the floor, kicking their feet and screaming, no, I don't want to. They're okay, Dad, even if they don't understand it, even if they don't necessarily like it, okay, they still do it. They've understood me. That is the receptive heart. Jesus calls this heart good soil, and he elaborates more on it in verse 23. He says, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. There's that word again. 
They've heard it. They've allowed it to take place in their life, to have the place that it needs to have, and they follow through with it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Our lives become fruitful, not because of us, but because we've placed ourselves in a position for God to do what he wants to do in us. Okay? In the context of this passage, good soil, the receptive heart, is found in those who persist in pressing close to Jesus. Remember, at the beginning, Jesus has been rejected by the Pharisees. You don't look like what we think you should look like. At the end of this chapter, he's going to be uh, rejected by the people he grew up with. You don't look like what we think you should look like. Right in the middle of this passage, the, the disciples themselves come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what are you talking about? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Will you explain this to us? That is the receptive heart. It's somebody who sticks close to Jesus and says, I'm going to let you define things, and I'm going to learn from you. That marked the disciples as good soil, and it will mark us as good soil as well. Pressing close to Jesus and staying there. That is the defense against the hard heart, the shallow heart, and the thorny heart. And if I'm not engaged in what marks the receptive heart, then I'm actually dying of one of the other heart conditions. That's what's happening. When we press close to Jesus and go to him to teach us, we will produce the life Jesus invites each of us to produce. Not because I'm good enough, not because you're good enough, but because he's faithful. And because we have simply come to him and said, I don't get it. Teach me. Make me what you want me to be not what I think I should be. If you're here this morning thinking you've made too many wrong decisions or that Jesus couldn't possibly want to invest his life in you, let me tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. Okay? That is a lie. Because Jesus is here right now inviting all of us to join him in this process of pressing close to him. Stay close to me. Another theme throughout the entire gospel of Matthew that we see is that disciples, those who are walking with Jesus, they rise and they fall on the master's watch. We rise and we fall on the master's watch, not because of us, but because of him. And so our mistakes, our problems, the things that we wrestle with and we struggle with, even those besetting sins, actually can become part of the story God is telling. And God takes all of that and he brings it into Christ and he says, now, let's show you off. Let's show you off. My grandpa, my dad's dad, for a long time was known for his temper. I don't know all of the details, but there's a story when my dad was a kid, and they, uh, as a family, they went to a car lot, and um, the car salesman said or did something that my grandpa didn't like, and he about came across the desk at this car salesman, and it wasn't to shake his hand. <laughs> it, 
Apparently, there was a lot of chaos ensuing. <clears throat> but you know what? That wasn't the person I knew. By the time I knew my grandpa, he had already given his life to Jesus. He had pressed close to Jesus. He had learned from Jesus. And because of what he did, my family is a legacy, is, is part of the fruit of his life. Okay? I have extended family members, many who love and follow Jesus. Some of us are in ministry. There's fruit there. What kind of legacy will you leave? What kind of life, what kind of fruit are you going to produce? Living the kingdom life Jesus calls us to doesn't happen on accident. We must choose to follow him above all else. In Matthew 13, 44 through 46, Jesus says in a couple of short, very short parables, I love them, but in both of them, he says, the cost to get in on the kingdom is to give up everything. Everything. You sell everything for this one thing. The question is, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to place all of our hopes, our dreams, our expectations, our shoulds at his feet so that there is nothing between us and him but trust? Nothing. All right, homework time. On the bottom of your outline, your message notes, there are, there are some blanks for you to write down your plan of action. I don't know all of you. I am looking forward to getting to know you. So I, can't, I cannot speak to you right now what you each need to do, but probably as you've listened to this message this morning, you've, you've heard and, and you begin to think, oh man, yeah. I've got this thing, all right? So this isn't an, an, an act of, you know, beating ourselves up or, or shaming ourselves or anything like that. It's simply an act of recognizing, okay, where am I at and what do I need to do to remove that out of the way? So take that home this week, pray about it, write it down. And then get with some other people, at least one other person who can walk with you in life, who can be an encouragement with you, who when you are tempted to go that direction can say, ha, let's go this way. And you can do the same for them. Will you press close to Jesus and stay there? Let's pray. Jesus, We are so thankful for you, for your grace. That you do not snuff us out. That you do not put undue demands on us, but you invite us into your life. For our good, for our future, so that not only we can be whole, but then we can be part of helping you bring wholeness into the world, into the situations, into our families, our work, the places we play. So here we are. Lord, we, we invite you to have your way in us, to produce 
your life in us and through us. God, for anybody here who maybe is feeling a little bit discouraged right now, just give them your peace. Give them your presence, just that, that sign. Lord, as, as you ate with, with people who are far from you, God, that, that they would understand that they are near to you because of your love, because of your goodness, because you are with them. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not yet begun your life as a Christ follower, as, as a disciple of Jesus, but you're thinking, man, this sounds like something I, I might be able to do, I, I'd like to do. I'm going to say a prayer. Just make this your own, okay? Jesus, here I am. I've made a mess of things in my life, of various things in my life, I, I, and I don't know how to fix it. And I don't know even how to accomplish everything that, that you want me to accomplish, but here I am. I'm giving myself to you. Bring me into your family. Give me your life. Make me whole. Lord, for anyone who made that prayer theirs, I pray right now that you would visit them, that you would give them your presence, that they would just have a sense of your love, of your spirit in them, with them. And God, have your way in them, I pray. Lord, we thank you again for your mercy and for your goodness that you don't call people to be perfect, but you call us to be like you, to walk into your life, and you help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.